Hello, my loves. Happy Yuletide season. I hope you're having an absolutely blessed one and feeling warm and cozy and comfy and doing exactly what you want to be doing during this time. In this episode, I'm bringing you a conversation with Ada Pembroke, who is a narrative astrologer and writer from Portland, Oregon. She is the founder of Narrative Astrology Lab, where she teaches story hacking astrology with a side of critical thinking and magic. She has an MFA in creative writing from Goddard College, and her essays and short stories have appeared in lit mags and anthologies. In this episode, Ada and I talk all about narrative astrology, what it is, how it came about, and how she uses it to work with clients. We also touch on past lives in astrology and the lunar nodes, in particular the invitation of the north node in Taurus and the south node in Scorpio. Lastly, we talk a little bit about the astrology of 2023 and why, in general, it's a lot better than the astrology of the last few years. I was definitely a lot more excited about the year to come after hearing Ada's take on Saturn in Pisces, and I hope that you are too. Ada has some really fascinating, unique offers coming up in 2023, and I'm really excited to introduce you to her. So enjoy this conversation, and I'll see you in the next one. Welcome, Ada, to Magic Woman Radio. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. So I always like to start by asking my guests their sun, moon, and rising sign and which they resonate most with at this point in their life. Oh, goodness. So my sun, moon, and rising sign are uh, Taurus sun, Aquarius moon, and Leo rising. So I've got this uh, interesting little T-square going on that's actually a fixed cross with Pluto down at the bottom of the world, Um, at least from my perspective. Um, And right now I've been, I don't know if I would say that I resonate the most with my ascendant, but it's definitely the part of my big three that I'm working with the most. I had a really long period where I really, really struggled with the idea that I had a Leo ascendant. Um, Leo ascendants get kind of a bad rap, especially after the Trump years, because he had a Leo ascendant. And one of the things that I've been really actively working on the last couple of years is trying to figure out why I have that placement and what that placement is for. And the more I dive into that work, the more I feel like myself and frankly, the happier I am. Wow. That's so, so interesting. Okay. So you have a big, you have a fixed, a lot of fixed energy happening here with oh, yeah. the world. <laughs> yes. um, I love that I have Pluto in the underworld. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. Well, it's, um, I guess it's a big year coming up for you because we have uh, Venus turning retrograde in your, on your ascendant later mm-hmm. on, I think. So hopefully that'll be, hopefully that'll, um, help you to like liberate a new part of you, a new version of you and help all of that you've done around your ascendant to kind of like come through and pay off maybe. That is exactly what I'm thinking for the year. I've been talking about the the need for everybody to kind of put on, figure out what their costume is for the new post, post, maybe in the postmodern sense, but like post pandemic world and like, you know, where, where are we going from here? What is the new normal? If there is such a thing as normal and like, you know, what is your character and what is your costume 
And after doing all of this work and trying to figure out what my Leo ascendant means to me, um, I, I'm definitely going to have to be doing some major clothes shopping this summer anyway, because I'm having a baby and like all of my clothes are not going to fit after I've gotten out of the maternity phase. Um, so it's, it's absolutely perfect timing for me. It's one of those times where astrology is really literal and in a mundane way. <laughs> but I think that this is a, a really good time for, you know, we've had so much emphasis on um, especially Aquarius and Taurus, but Scorpio has been in the limelight too. And Leo has just kind of been neglected the last few years, which is probably the worst thing you can do to Leo. <laughs> and so I'm really happy to see Leo in the spotlight this summer. Yes, I am so happy to see Leo in the spotlight this summer where it rightly needs to be, right? Like <laughs> we need that soul. Leo needs to be seen. Goodness. Yeah, it's been, yeah, your other placements have definitely been active, active for the last couple of years as well. So you've been doing oh, yeah. a lot of changes, obviously. You're having a baby. So oh yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, my yeah, it's been it's been a huge couple of years. The the Uranus Saturn square Saturn was conjunct my moon. Um Uranus has been conjunct my sun for and my north node for quite a while. Um, I'm going through a nodal return at the same time. Like this is this is a huge time of change for me, but I have um, Mars natally in Gemini. So change is my happy place. And. Uh... <laughs> okay. Good, good, good. So you are a fantasy writer turned astrologer who practices yes, narrative astrology. So the first time I heard this term, Kayla Jane, our mutual friend, Kayla Jane Barry connected us. And um, she let me know that you did narrative astrology. And the minute I heard that, I was just like, wow, that is something that I want to know more about. I am a writer and I'm also um, an astrologer and this, they, they lend themselves to each other so well. So they really do create this way of practicing astrology and just more generally, like how did you come into practicing astrology? So my path to astrology was pretty wild. Um, I graduated from a master's of fine arts and creative writing program. I'd written a uh, literary cyberpunk novel as my thesis. And after I graduated, the plan was to continue writing novels. And I started thinking about, you know, what I wanted my second novel to be. And second artistic projects are kind of infamous for being incredibly difficult because, you know, the first time you do something, it's like, you kind of get to the end of it and you're like, on the one hand, you're like, I did this by accident. And on the other hand, you take everything that you learn from like the time that you were very small until the present moment and you put everything into that book and then or whatever your creative project is, your book, your album. And, and then it's like, your well is empty. And it's really easy to think I'm never going to write again, or I'm never going to create an album again, or, or what have you. I was aware of that, fortunately, um, before I started working on my second novel. And so I knew that I was going to be in for a really prolonged um, a time of just filling the creative well and gathering experiences. And I was watching a lot of my classmates doing similar things. Um, a few of them became journalists, a few of them became professors. Uh, and a lot of them went back to school to uh, study things that were completely unrelated to writing so that they would have something to write about. One of my um, colleagues 
grew up on uh, in reservation in New York and uh, was very, very, very into environmental issues because she grew up under the shadow of the Niagara Falls environmental nonsense. Uh, so she went to get a, a master's in environmental science so that she would have a subject that she was knowledgeable enough to really write about. And uh, I wasn't interested in going back to school formally. I, after reading 50 books in two years, I was, I was kind of done <laughs> for a while at least. Um, so I started thinking about uh, the fantasy genre, which is what I, I wanted to be moving into. The fact that I ended up writing a cyberpunk novel was really an accident of living in Silicon Valley. Um, <laughs> Um, and I, I started thinking about, you know, what's wrong with the fantasy genre as far as I'm concerned. And the thing that I kept on coming back to was this idea that um, magic is so boring most of the time. Like, it's really just guns with better special effects. And I was like, you know, if I wanted to write something like that, I would write like, you know, a space opera or, or something with like lasers or something. Um, and I, I started thinking about, you know, some of the most genius minds in history have been absolutely enchanted by magic. Um, we have all of these examples of scientists who have made like major, major leaps forward in our understanding of the natural world, also practicing alchemy and astrology. And at the time, I didn't really respect those things at all. It was very much materialist. Um, but I did respect the people who practiced and I wanted to understand where they were coming from and what they were trying to do in the world and what they believed. And in the process, I, I uh, developed an academic crush on John Dee and uh, was fascinated by his work, you know, communicating with angels and, and so on. But it was, it was astrology that really captured my imagination. I was like, all right, I'm going to take six months to understand astrology well enough to uh, to write a novel about it that, you know, honors this person and honors his genuine love and interest in, in the subject and um, doesn't talk about astrology in a condescending way. And uh, that was 10 years ago. <laughs> that novel is long gone because I thought it was going to take six months and within three years, I was working one-on-one -on -one with um, one of Stephen Forrest's uh, original students and uh, getting regular mentoring just because like it, it was, it was a, like falling down the rabbit hole. I got my first chart reading from him and like he was able to illuminate aspects of myself that I knew immediately as soon as he said it that were true but that I hadn't been able to see in myself. And uh, by, <laughs> by the end of 2015, he, he kind of looked at me and he was like, so what are you doing? And I was like, what am I, what am I doing? Why? He was like, you really should be a professional astrologer. I was like, Paul, I can't be a professional astrologer. I don't, I don't know how to read my own chart. I'm still working on my own chart. He was like, oh, your chart is the last chart you'll understand. Hang up your shingle and give it a try. And um, I, I did that around the time that I went to Stephen Forrest's apprenticeship program. And uh, 
he encouraged me to get some business cards made before I went so that when I connected with other astrologers, it would be, it would be easy to keep in touch afterwards. Um, and I was on Moo or, or one of those sites that was around back then. And uh, I had to design the front and the back. And I was like, oh, crap, what am I going to put on the back? Like, I didn't want to put like some kind of random logo or something. And uh, I started thinking about my, my experience in astrology and my practice. And I thought of this quote, um, I can't, I can't remember the source of it, but it's a, a novelist who, who said that writing a novel is like driving through the fog with your high beams on and not being able to see more than two feet in front of you. And you can drive the whole way that way, but you never see very far ahead where you're going. And I was like, you know, that's, that's what astrology is like. That's what life is like, really. And I feel like um, astrology is like the light that can show you two feet in front of you and, and you can guide yourself the whole way. So I found this, um, picture of a foggy road that I put on the back of the, of the, um, business cards. And I just found myself typing narrative astrology and I, I was like, okay, well that works. You know, I'm an MFA and, and I'm an astrologer and I, I'm bringing those two things together. And, uh, I, I showed the cards to my mentor and he was like, narrative astrology, do not lose this. Do not forget this. I was like, what? It's just my brand. Like it was, it was the time when everybody was into personal branding. I was like, whatever. Um, but about a year ago, maybe, maybe two, no, probably more like a year ago. I, um, I started to realize that I, up until that point, I had been very, very, very invested in the Stephen Forrest School of Astrology. Um, because once I actually dove into researching astrology, I, um, I realized that most of the delineations I was reading did not apply to me. They were just, you know, I'm sure you've encountered, you know, the cookbook things that are probably true for like, you know, one or two people. But because of oddities in your chart, you you can have other placements that undercut the interpretation even if it's a pretty standard one um and i i have a chart that undercuts everything <laughs> uh so it's it's really difficult for me to work with cookbooks even stephen forests because i constantly have like exceptions to every rule that you have to take into account you really have to read my full chart at once because everything's connected um and uh Stephen Forrest was the only astrologer I found who had a way of doing astrology that wasn't all about telling you what to feel. And I, I know now that there are lots of astrologers out there who do that. But at the time, you know, the community wasn't nearly as connected as it is now. And he was the only one that I found. Uh, so I, I belonged to the Stephen Forrest School of Astrology for years and years and years. Um, and then uh, a few years ago, I started to realize that I was kind of you know, you can study with Stephen your entire life and learn more and more, but I was starting to feel like at least technically I was coming to the end of the road and I started exploring other things. I started listening to Chris Brennan and experimenting with whole sign houses and um, discovered Austin Coppock's work and Kelly Surtees and um, uh, I'm blanking on other names, but you know, other astrologers who were doing very different things from a very different mindset. And I started running a lot of experiments and, you know, cause to me, the 
the mark of a good astrology is that it works. It, if it says that it's going to predict the future, it predicts the future. If it promises to help you have wisdom to deal with your current circumstances, it should give you wisdom to deal with your current circumstances. And so I, I just ran all of these approaches through, through that gauntlet of empiricism. And uh, I found that there were some incredible ancient tools that um, really illuminated things in my practice that I hadn't found in Stephen Forrest's work. Um, I discovered that um, I was having a lot of trouble with clients who did not resonate at all with their sun sign. Mm. And when I looked at their chart, it was because they had a night shift chart. And when I started talking with them about the moon, that's when things really started clicking for them. Yeah. And so my project became, you know, how can I take these techniques and use them in a way that um, resonates with and preserves the things that I love about evolutionary astrology? And um, at first I was like, you know, okay, it's a blend of traditional and evolutionary. Um, but I, I had a conversation with an astrologer friend of mine um, maybe six months ago. And, uh, he, he was a, an experienced astrologer and, uh, went through, um, Chris Brennan's class and was like, you know, what you're doing is not really a blend. It's not like you have a little bit of Chris and a little bit of Steven, what you're doing is really entirely new. And it's really centered around stories. I was like, oh, that's what narrative astrology is. It's my way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Damn. Damn. So you have been falling down the rabbit hole for 10 years and it just seems like you're really so passionate about this. And I love that you explained it like that, falling down the rabbit hole. That's what I say to people when they ask me how I got into tarot and astrology. I'm just like you, you like the fool, you leap off the cliff and you just never stop falling. But yeah. that said, it also is like driving with the high beams on through fog. What I was thinking about when you set, shared that metaphor was the hermit in the tarot as well. Like the little lantern in the, in the light. It's like, this is just enough light to illuminate the next steps. And that's exactly what astrology is, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. It's so true. It's such a big it's such a big thing that we're talking about when we talk about the cosmos, like how can we ever possibly hope to just conquer it? You know? Yes. <laughs> yes. And it always comes back to our chart being the biggest and the toughest, right? I've yeah. never heard that before, but that makes absolute sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something that I, I think that that fact, if we allow the ramifications of it to really hit us has the, ability to keep us humble in, in a great way, because we, we know that we don't understand ourselves in the same way that our clients don't understand themselves either, because nobody does. And so it, it helps to avoid that temptation for astrologers to fall into the, the glamour of, I can tell you who you are, because we don't know who we are. So who are we? to tell other people who they are oh my goodness yes yeah we don't know who we are and it's just about asking questions right <laughs> so that's what it's exactly yeah so how did you end up working 
with clients then? And because there's so many different ways that you could have gone. You could have just started writing about astrology. You could have taught astrology. I mean, you, you do teach astrology, but that you also see clients as well. So what kind of came first? Did you just decide like in order to kind of take this further, I need to share it with someone else and talk about their chart? So I had a rather bumpy start to my professional career. Um, I, I started in 2015 and um, I didn't know anybody in the community aside from my mentor and the people from Stephen's apprenticeship program. Um, and I hung out my shingle on the internet and um, got on Twitter and tried to like, you know, content market myself into getting clients. And it, it only took a couple of months before somebody contacted me for a reading. And the very first reading was a very desperate boomer asking me if she should get a divorce or not. And into yeah. the fire. <laughs> right, right into the fire. And I actually ended up giving her her money back because I was like, I, I do not answer questions like that. I can't tell you what to do. I, I am not your guru. <laughs> And um, I, I ended up shutting down my professional practice for, um, gosh, it must have been a good couple of years while I tried to figure out what I was doing. And eventually, I ended up coming back. And um, of all places, I ended up on Tumblr. And Tumblr has this really neat ability to um, allow people to send you messages either anonymously or um, they can attach their name to them and then you can you know respond to those messages or answer those questions publicly on your blog um, so it's really really easy to use the tool to set up a kind of agony ants dear abby kind of column thing and uh, i i started doing an astrology agony ant thing and uh, people would ask me questions about their charts and I would look up their charts and I would do um, readings for them. And I got the humility thing, but <laughs> I got really famous for doing past life readings, um, which was not something that people were doing at the time. Um, you know, obviously there, you could have gone to a psychic at that point and had them tell you what their past lives are. But um, I, as far as I know, was the first to pull out um, evolutionary astrology's um, reading of the nodes to understand past lives and uh, start doing exclusive readings talking about um, this is the past life garbage that you were born into this life with. This is how you're trying to resolve it. These are the obstacles that are standing in your way that you have to um, deal with before you can resolve it. And this is what resolution will look like. It, it follows that um, simple, but but very powerful, in my opinion, formula. Um, I did hundreds of those, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And it, it was really how I made a name for myself. And uh, I finally uh, decided that I loved doing readings, but I was doing them for free. <laughs> and I, I, I wanted to start getting some energy back because like I was pouring all of this energy into it and you know people were responding back and positively and referring me to their friends and all that stuff and so that that's a way of giving energy back to a reader but it felt like you know it was 95% energy out and 5% energy back in and uh so I I started 
putting together a workshop because I'd taken some e-courses and I was like, you know, I haven't really seen e-courses that deal with astrology before. So I ended up putting together Moon Mood Workshop and that was the very first workshop that I did. And uh, we spent a month following the moon through all of the signs and doing the, even then I, I knew where I was going and I had no idea. Um, we did this really empirical study where it was like, okay, this is what astrology says these symbols mean. This is what astrology says it means when the moon is in this sign. But what is your experience? How do you experience this? What is your energy like? What are you struggling with? And people came out of the class really positive. There were some people who were like, you know, I understand the cycles of my energy so much better now. And I know that I have to take a couple of days off whenever the moon is in Taurus because I need to sleep for two days and, and, and things like that. And it was, it was just so positive and powerful and people wanted to stick around after the workshop. And that was really the foundation of what has become the narrative astrology lab. It's, uh, it's largely built on experimental astrology, trying to figure out what your personal relationships with the symbols are kind of like writing your own cookbook. Mm. Oh, you are blowing my mind right now. Like absolutely blowing my mind. <laughs> so you did, you did hundreds of readings for free. Yes. Wow. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot of readings to do for free, for sure. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm glad that you're no longer doing that. <laughs> but oh I mean, no, it's all part of the journey. <laughs> Everyone's journey is unique. We're never on the wrong path, of course. It's all it's all just part of the part of the learning. And I'm sure that you learned so much doing that um, because everyone's chart is so different, right? Everyone's yeah. noticed this is going to be different. The aspects to it are going to be different. I am fascinated by the nodes in astrology and that as a niche is such a, a beautiful niche. Like I really don't know anyone else who, who focuses on that very much with astrology. So you are, you're the go-to. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, Stephen Forrest's uh, style of doing astrology really focuses on the nodes. You don't get it when you read the inner sky, but um, it, that was because he was working with a, a very traditional publisher who, who thought that uh, past lives were kind of, you know, woo. But um, his book, Yesterday's Sky, really dives into his work with the notes. And uh, his work was really my template in the beginning. Like, I, I tell people, you know, if you internalize Yesterday's Sky, you can give incredibly powerful past life readings. But the work that I needed to do by doing all of those um, all of those readings on Tumblr um, was developing the art of taking this incredibly abstract and mathematical picture with all of these symbols in it and turning it into a story that people can relate to and finding ways to connect with people's experiences and um, finding metaphors that resonate for them. Um, one of my one of my early successes is I, I got a request for a reading from somebody who was really into the Elder Scrolls games. And I was able to tie in video game metaphors to the reading in a way that um, that he said really resonated for him uh, to, to the point that 
know, I did that reading for him in 2018 or 2019, and he's still a member of the Narrative Astrology Lab. Oh my goodness. That is how we connect with each other, stories, right? And it's how we connect yes. another language. Like the language of astrology can be very complex and very alienating for people. So this practice, narrative astrology, making it relatable to someone and explaining it in terms that they can understand helps everyone to understand how useful it can truly be. Like astrology can be. Yeah. Wow. That's really fascinating. So are you still on Tumblr? I am technically on Tumblr. Um, When I, I I have my um, website set up so that every time I post a a blog post to my site, it automatically goes up on Tumblr. I, I had so many followers on Tumblr. I just couldn't fully walk away from it. The idea of hitting delete on thousands of followers was just like, oh, I can't do it. But um, the, the drama on Tumblr and the, um, and the flame wars and the discourse stuff, like I, I'm just not really I, I want to be on the internet to, to help people and give people hope and being immersed in an environment where people are tearing each other down just feels like it's not for me. Yeah. You've given, you've given enough of your energy to Tumblr, I think. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> so just by of an example, um, would you, would you be okay with sharing your own nodal axis and, and what you, what your own take on, on your South node and your North node is and like the invitation that that has for you in this life? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Cool. And, uh, so, and my story might be relevant for, um, people who are listening right now, because my nodes are the same as the nodes that everyone is experiencing right now. So in a way, my story is everybody's story at the moment, which is, uh, well, I would say that it's exciting, but <laughs> everybody's story right now is um, it very much in the shadow of the COVID-19 pandemic. So um, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's not so optimistic as I, as I would like it to be, but uh, so I have the South Node in Scorpio, and it is conjunct my Saturn, and it is in the fourth house. Um, and I have the North Node in Taurus in the tenth, and it is very, very closely conjunct my Sun less than a degree. Um, wow, full moon baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The 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 harshest thing I've ever heard Stephen say about. Uh, a placement that I have in my chart is he was like, yeah, if you have the sun or moon opposite your south node or conjunct your north node, that is heavy karma. I was like, oh, no, hearing that come from a Buddhist was like, oh my goodness. Um, so, so for me, um, having, having the south node in Scorpio and I have Pluto in Scorpio too. So I've got, I've got the, the tradition, the modern ruler, in the same exact place as um, the the South Node and the traditional ruler, which I I use both in my practice, um, Mars is in Gemini in the 11th house. So there is a really strong tie between um, communities that are bound together with common interests and my um, karmic crap, for lack of a better word, um, and and family as well. and I um, had a pretty difficult relationship with my family 
Um, I grew up a preacher's kid in an extremely conservative um, Christian denomination, the Plymouth Brethren. <laughs> the Plymouth Brethren have given us um, Crowley, the Left Behind series, and me. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> That's so expressive. It was one of those. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, so I, I grew up in this denomination that it was extraordinarily traditional as far as gender roles were concerned. Um, the, the services were um, Quaker style services where it was informal and everybody stood up to share when they felt like the spirit was moving them. And the rest of the time we were all sitting in silence and uh, women were not allowed to participate women were allowed to sit in silence for two hours and uh, listen just to the men talk. Um, and I have Leo rising and I have Mercury directly on the midheaven in Aries, like to the degree. Um, and, uh, and that was a incredibly oppressive environment for me. Um, I was very much in the spotlight because my dad was a preacher. Um, but it was not a spotlight that allowed me to shine. It was a spotlight that was very much looking for me to make mistakes. And so having Saturn on the South node was very much a, a depressing, you know, I had to be older than my years. I had to be a miniature adult. I had to be incredibly, incredibly self-controlled. Um, and the pressure of having to be on and perfect in public was horrible on my family. And so everyone would come home and my parents would freak out. My brother would freak out. And I always felt like I had to be the one who was the stoic, who just kind of like held the ground together because of that Taurus son. I was like, you know, I, I have to be the grounding for this family. You know, all of my 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 brother was an Aries, my mom was a Virgo, my dad was Sagittarius. And so there, it was all this cardinal mutable energy. And I was the fixed one in the house. Um, and so that the created a, an atmosphere for me where I really felt like I was living in two different worlds. Like there was the world outside that saw this really idealized picture of my family where we weren't allowed to talk about the things that were actually going on. And we had to to look absolutely perfect one of the dark sides of Leo rising. Um, whereas, you know, as soon as the doors were closed, it was a private hell. And uh, so having the North Node in Taurus and having it be conjunct my son, you know, then the North Node is not, <sighs> the North Node conjunct the sun is like, it's like saying, my identity is out there and I can see it and it's like a North star, but I can never actually get to the place where I'm able to individualize, uh, individuate and, and develop a, a healthy ego and be myself and shine. And for me, the work has been um, learning what Taurus is actually. One of my biggest stumbling blocks with astrology was um, every time I read a Taurus horoscope, it was like, um, try not to eat two gallons of ice cream today, or remember to actually get out of bed. 
And I was a super incredibly disciplined person because of that Saturn on the south node opposite the sun. And so every time I read this, I was like, you know, this really isn't me. And I can't, I can't stand this criticism. Like my problem is overwork to an intense degree and over responsibility and not understanding my own limits. And, um, and so it took me many times of running into my own um, limits and crossing them and getting sick or having an accident or, or all of these things. You know, I, I don't believe that every time you get sick, it's because you, you know, are ignoring your limits or have done something bad, but like, you know, <laughs> Um, for me, it was really freaking obvious. Like, you know, you work for three days, you're going to get sick kind of stuff. Um, and figuring out that Taurus is about peace and it's about the, the soldier coming out of Aries and finally coming home and learning to live in peacetime. And uh, Taurus is Venus's country house in the woods where she communes with animals and uh, retreats from the world and um, engages in self-care. Like these were all lessons that I needed to learn. And for me, going through my nodal return, um, since uh, the nodes went into Scorpio about a year ago, I think, um, has really been about learning that with a Scorpio South node, and this is, this is the thing that I think everybody has been falling into um, or been tempted to fall into. Um, when you run into these places where you have choices, where you can either ruminate and brood and do intense psychological work and shadow work and um, do intensive therapy and all these things. And there are times where that is absolutely appropriate. Like Scorpio is not bad. It's just that sometimes the right response is not to dive into that super deep psychological stuff and self-analysis and picking at your wounds and all these things. Um, and the right answer is to take a bath or eat some carbs or get a hug or play with your dog. And the place that we have been in over the last year or so has been very much a place of recovery. It's been um, a time where Whenever we have a choice between Scorpionic work and Taurus work, which feels more like play, which makes it feel um, more forbidden, the correct answer actually is to do the healing work of getting back into the body, of calming down, of being, um, you know, doing these healing practices that are rooted in Venusian pleasure. And for me, that has been a constant lifelong quest. Um, I, I've had times where it's been absolutely appropriate for me to go through lots of therapy and it's been the right thing to do. But 90% of the time when I'm not doing that dedicated healing work, um, I can either drag somebody into like a psychoanalysis session with me where I use that Mars and Gemini to just talk for hours or we can snuggle on the couch and watch Great British Baking Show. And the answer is almost always Great British Baking Show for me. And uh, <laughs> we're, we're never spoken. The answer is always almost <laughs> the British Oh, Baking. yeah. 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 <laughs> and it's something that has really been coming home to me being pregnant. Like it's the, 
Mm. I have had so much pushback because people see that score uh, that uh, Saturn and Scorpio and they're like, Oh, you're supposed to be the adult in the room. And whenever I'm like, you know, no, I'm not going to be the adult in the room. I'm going to be the person who's sitting in fuzzy pajamas, you know, cuddling with a blanket. Like um, people tend to be like, "Mm, are you, are you really sure about that? Um, But as soon as I got pregnant, everybody was like, are you napping? Are you resting enough? How much sleep did you get last night? And it was like, I suddenly understood, like I was getting from the outside what I have been trying so hard to foster on the inside. And I mm. feel like it, things just clicked for me this year in the, in the best way, but it was so hard. It, we have so much pressure in the society to work, 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 work. One job isn't enough. You have to have a side hustle and you have to be developing a business and you have to have passive income and blah, 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 blah. And it just, the message of this year has just been stop, just stop. Yeah. Yeah. What a powerful nodal return for you. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing your delineation of that. I And your Saturn was conjunct yourself to it. For some reason, I thought you said your moon, but it, your Saturn, very different energy. Oh. No, yeah. no. Opposites, yeah. really. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's that's really, really profound. I, I love that you shared that. Um, my North Node is also conjunct my sun in Pisces in my sixth house. And my South Node is conjunct my moon in my 12th house in, in Virgo. So hearing your ex, hearing you explain how the North Node conjunct the sun is like this sense of just, I will, I will, there's a sense of me or a sense of like confidence that I'll just never quite grasp or I'm always kind of working towards trying to grasp. And I really resonate with that. Like when you said that, I felt something shift in my body <laughs> because- Pisces right it's all about it's liminal space and ethereal and mystical and um that's my son and and I I feel that so I feel a bit of permission Mm -hmm. granted from from you now thank you yes yes yes, absolutely and it's it's extra hard for you with the seven Pisces because you know um one of the archetypes of Pisces is the face dancer you can you can put on different faces, not in an authentic way, but you recognize um, most, most likely at the risk of putting words in your mouth that we all have a chorus of, of selves and there is no one single individual self and you can kind of pull the appropriate self for the moment out in the moment. And if you have that gift, the ego is all about the sun at the center of the universe. There's only one sun in the solar system, at least in ours. <laughs> um, but it's from our perspective anyway. So how do you deal with the one and the many? It's a huge question. Yeah. Yeah. How do you deal with the one and the many? I don't know. The work of my that's a question of my life yeah and, and no wonder it's your nodes you know the, the nodes take you a lifetime to figure out and I, I feel like yeah. I've, I've reached a mountaintop experience with my nodal return but I know that it's it's not a mountain it's a new phase in the spiral staircase and it just goes up and up and up and up yes truer words were never in it's a spiral <laughs> 
but I guess you're also going through your Mars return right now as we close off the year too. So this is yep. a, a potent winter, I guess, for you of a lot of learning. It absolutely is. Honestly, yeah. the biggest lesson for me with this Mars return has been self-compassion um, oh. because I've been watching everybody else struggle with Mars and Gemini and um, people have been having a really, really difficult time with it. And I found myself at the beginning of the transit when everybody was freaking out and talking about um, how scattered they were and how difficult it was to finish things and um, how they just feel like, you know, the, the dog that's like squirrel. <laughs> and I realized, you know, this this energy, this way of being in the world, this way of you know, going after what I want is just who I've always been. And I take it for granted. And I haven't realized that this way of being in the world has definitely definite pros. Like I, I've gotten to the point in my understanding of that placement that I would not trade my Mars for anything. Um, but it also has some really unique challenges that we don't get a lot of support for in our society and seeing everybody else struggle and having conversations where I'm able to share my strategies for actually ever getting anything done when I have <laughs> with Mars and Gemini um, has made me realize that, you know, there, there are certain ways where in the race of life, I'm starting at zero and some other people are starting at 10. And if I feel like I'm behind, it's, it's because I'm trying to live a hundred lives in one and I have no more time than anyone else. And so like, you know, I, I might have, you know, in the, in the language of uh, video games, three characters that are at level one, whereas, you know, everybody else has one character at level three and I'm like, oh, they're so far ahead of me. Now they're just better at focusing example <laughs> and that's why um astrology is a language of compassion right it's just it can yes. be so useful like oh i understand what happens when my mind goes to this place and i i know that's why and i know this is what i need to do so yep exactly yeah. Yeah, that's huge. So looking forward into the astrology of 2023, is there anything in particular that you're like really looking forward to about this year ahead? Yes, absolutely. Um, I've been I've been watching a lot of memes coming up of people being like, you know, don't say that 2023 is your year. Over the last two years, we have learned our lesson about that. And yeah. I'm just, I'm kind of behind my computer screen giggling because I'm actually really excited about 2023. Um, and, I'm excited about it. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've got that Mars and Gemini. So change is my happy place anyway. And this is a year of change. And so I'm like, yeah. and I, I kind of wonder if, you know, we've needed to have Mars and Gemini just so that we can get comfortable with change so that as we go into this year of really intense changes, we're not going to be, you know, hanging on to 2019, hoping that it's going to come back. Yeah. Um, but the, there is so much that I am excited about and I'm working on a, a blog post about this that'll, cool. that'll, that'll hopefully be up by the time the show airs. Um, yeah. We'll see. Um, yeah. But the thing that I'm absolutely most excited about is, uh, <laughs> and this is my, my Neo rising coming up, um, Saturn going into Pisces. And the reason for that is that I am so sick and tired of Instagram beige. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> and uh, I'm I'm seeing designers already starting to pick up on the energy of Saturn and Pisces, and they're like, you know, you can have color. You can have color on the ceiling. Um, and I, I'm I'm being a little bit facetious here, but. Um, the the underlying thing behind Saturn and Pisces is, you know, we've been going through five years of Saturn in signs that Saturn rules. And, yeah. you know, it's like we've been, we've gone from Capricorn, which is like being slowed in, snowed in a blizzard. And then Aquarius, where like Saturn is basically like the building inspector who's going through and is like, oh, you know, this major load bearing wall in your life that you... Uh, have come to rely on yeah it's rotten and it's going to fall it down in three two one <laughs> and it's it's exhausting and it's tiresome and when saturn goes into pisces you know saturn isn't in charge anymore saturn has to listen to the boss jupiter and neptune is going to be there um kind of keeping saturn in line as well um and it's going to allow us to see a very different side of Saturn, a side of Saturn that is all about um, manifesting the real, manifesting dreams into reality and yes. really, really, really making them real um, as opposed to, you know, this is your practice in being a stoic and uh, learning how to go without things that you really desperately need because the, um, company that makes them in China has been shut down for seven months and um, you know, these are all of the ways that you're failing in life with Saturn and Aquarius um, Saturn and Pisces is just it's it's a break it's a it's an opportunity to um, I, I like to compare it to scenes in movies where you know they've been chased by the monsters for a long time and they haven't had an opportunity to stop and think and figure out what they're doing next and figure out what they want to be doing next and you know this is this is kind of the moment like from lord of the rings where you know they're they're in this this horrible environment and they're like i'm i'm never gonna gonna see my home again where they're you know dreaming about the shire and they're remembering why they're doing the things that they're doing and they're um reconnecting with their values which is a big jupiter into pisces keyword um and this and I, I want to thank Austin Coppett for pointing this out. Um, this is an excellent time historically for artists. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> I, I want to be careful not to uh, imply that there is anything, any such thing as Saturn clause. <laughs> that is not what Saturn is. Uh, Saturn requires you to do the work. Um, but, um Saturn and Pisces is a time when artists tend to be able to create worlds that people actually want to live in. And a lot of the examples that we have are fictional, fictional worlds, World of Warcraft, uh, Elder Scrolls, um, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. But we are very much in a time where we have been getting a crash course in the kind of world that we don't want to live in. And I don't care what your political philosophy is or um, you know, what you believe of the world, everybody is pissed off. Yeah. And this is a, a time where you know, we've been in this period where 
Uranus and Saturn have been crossing each other at every turn. And so Saturn has been trying to make improvements and Uranus has been saying no. And Uranus has been trying to make improvements and Saturn has been saying no. And and finally, next year, they're going to move into a sextile, which is a supportive relationship where they are able to encourage and inspire each other. Uh, they're still going to be opposite energies. You know, Saturn is still the establishment and Uranus is still the rebellion. Um, but Saturn will be in much more of a position to listen to the voices of, of Uranus calling for change and actually making that change real. And that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean that Mitch McConnell is suddenly going to start striking with Starbucks workers or something. Um, but it means that that energy is available to us in a way that it hasn't been before. And we can decide, you know, to, to listen to Uranus's call for freedom in our own hearts and in our own lives and in the area of our chart that he's working in right now, whatever your Taurus house is. And bring all of the maturity and the hard work and the stoicism and the ability to bear suffering that we have developed so much over the last couple of years. And instead of using it to be responsible humans who don't give the plague to other people, which, you know, we should still do. Um, we can use that energy to start working hard towards the world that we actually want to have. Yes. Going to those marches or um, putting in the extra hour to actually write the novel or um, saving money, not just because you're worried about getting laid off, but because you want to buy a couple acres in the country, you know, these yes. types of things. Yeah. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Like I am so <laughs> much more excited than I was before for Saturn and Pisces. And I was excited before, but now even more excited. We share a lot of the same sentiments about that. I've, I've been thinking about it as like really doing the work to identify what is truly meaningful to us and like how we want to feel and then actually like building it out in the real world. Yes. It's about dreams, right? And yes. yeah, I pointed out, it's not just about moving away from what we don't want and putting up boundaries to keep out what we don't want, but it's more about what we do want and flowing yes. in that and creating, creating more boundaries to support that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm excited now. Well, cool. And I guess, a lot of people probably listening to this um, are going to be entering their Saturn return, coming out of their Saturn return. So it's a big year for a lot of people coming into coming into new ways of life and just moving around the world. Absolutely. I, I cannot imagine what it must have been like to be going through all of these times in your 20s. Like, <sighs> yeah. wow. Yeah, hopefully Saturn has some really beautiful payoff years down the line for those people. <laughs> well, I know oh, it. Does. Absolutely. Daddy, Daddy Saturn may not be Saturn Claus, but he he rewards the work. <laughs> yes, yes, he really does. And whether we have wanted to or not, we have been learning how to do the work the last few years. For sure, for sure. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and being a guest on the pod. Let everyone know what you're offering right now that you're really excited about and where they can find you. Thank you again so much for having me. I I, I love telling my stories and it's been wonderful talking with you. Um, so right now, uh, you can find me at Ada Pembroke on Instagram and adapembroke.com. The things that I'm really excited about are two things. 
Um, one is Moon Mood Workshop, which I was talking about. Um, this will be the third time that I've offered it. Um, you can find it on my site at adapembrook.com slash moon mood. Um, and it's the intent behind it is to give us a chance to recover from the holidays, uh, invest in some new time, introspect, really get into that uh, Taurus relaxing stuff that I've been talking about, um, while also tuning into your heart and tuning into your feelings and figuring out what your own personal uh, emotional cycles are and the different ways that you can nurture yourself over the course of the lunar month. Um, so this this is my first workshop and it, if I can pick favorites, it's, it's probably one of my favorites. Um, so that's going to be starting on January 5th. And then on February 10th, I am going to be starting a new cohort of my uh, Introduction to Narrative Astrology class. Um, and it is the beginning of a series of classes that um, if you are new to astrology, it can take you from knowing absolutely nothing about astrology to uh, being able to do a pretty decent reading of somebody's birth chart um, and answering various questions. Um, and if you are more experienced with astrology and you want to, one, spend some quality time with your chart and learn how to do narrative astrology um, in your for yourself and in your own life and learn how to tell stories about your chart that make you feel a, a little bit less like you don't know who you are, like we've been talking about. Um, the, the class gives you basic tools and teaches you what narrative astrology is and how to practice it. And it also gives you um, new metaphors for understanding the planet signs and houses and aspects. Um, so even if you're fairly far along, you are probably going to find something in every module that'll help you to see things just a little bit differently. Um, we talk about astrology in Mesopotamia, we talk about um, ancient Hellenistic metaphors and the class is entirely oriented towards understanding these metaphors of storytelling elements and learning how to put them together with your chart in a coherent way to understand um, the dynamics between your planets. So I, I would love to have people join that. Um, Moon Mood Workshop is an entirely independent thing. You just buy the class and you take it. Um, the narrative introduction to narrative astrology is part of the narrative astrology lab. So um, if you take that, you'll be joining the wonderful community that, that has built itself around narrative astrology on Discord. Um, you'll have more access to me with major readings discounts, um, and you'll have access to a huge library of lectures and things. So the, the class is the thing that I'm really excited about at the moment, but um, the, the membership, I think, is a really at the risk of sounding too commercial, a really great value. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. Well, everyone take them. I know I definitely, definitely will be joining you for the moon mood workshop. That sounds yes. fantastic. Um, thank you so much for sharing and thank you for being a guest today. Thank you so much.
If you are ready to go deeper into the astrology of 2023, then I invite you to grab my complete guide to the astrology of 2023. This is a 45-page workbook that gives you a big picture look at the themes, opportunities, and defining moments of 2023, and also offers full breakdowns of each quarter and forecasts for each rising sign. You can get that at katefowley.com. That's K-A-I-T-F-O-W-L-I-E.com. 